Hi guys, George here. We're about to start another incredible episode of the Work Inspired Podcast. If you've been listening, you'll know we've already talked to some amazing business leaders on this show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get alerted as soon as we have a new interview to share. We've got some incredible guests lined up. Also, if you or someone you know would be a great guest on this show, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at glp at bos.com. Let's get started. I'm George Lucas Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Work Inspired. This podcast brings together the top minds in commercial real estate, key influencers in architecture and design, business owners, thought leaders, technologists, and visionaries, all to explore how great work gets done. Today, you are in for a treat because we are talking with accomplished chief executive officer and chairman of Nelson, one of the largest providers of design and design-related services in America. Please welcome Ozzy Nelson. Ozzy, I can't thank you enough for being here on the show. It is such a pleasure to have a, have a chance to speak with you. Uh, your experience and uh, your insight are uh, legendary, should I say? <laughs> this is Ozzy Nelson. Thank you for being here. Thank you, George. Nice to be here. Well, do me a favor. Why don't you just start by telling me the story, your story, and talking a little bit about Nelson uh, and what you guys do. Yeah. So we uh, we are a design, architecture, engineering, and consulting firm. Um, uh, have a worldwide client base. Have uh, twenty four offices here in the U.S. Uh, a firm of about uh, a little bit over a thousand people and uh, focused on 10 different practices uh, of which uh, many of them, we are uh, leaders within those, those practices. Now you've been obviously with Nelson for quite a long time, uh, 17 some years. Tell me how, how has Nelson changed over the years? How have you guys grown and um, what, what's different today, say from when you started and maybe 10 years ago, yeah. So, um, so actually, I, I joined what was my father's fourteen-person uh, interior design firm thirty-two years ago. And, uh, uh, but we really began the the kind of um, large-scale expansion uh, about seventeen years ago. So, I guess seventeen years ago, we were uh, we had grown about a um, hundred people. Um, largely focused uh, on one client, we had a ninety percent concentration on one client. And uh, when I became CEO, um, uh, one, the concentration risk was, was great. But, um, you know, I think our story, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things I'd like to point out to people. One is that um, I think what we have done extremely well um, is to really interpret the external environment and adapt to the environment as opposed to some preconceived notion of what we wanted to be. So, um, you know, when I say that, there's, you know, a couple of jumps there. One is, um, you know, we, as I said, we had this concentration with one large client. um, And that was at a time when corporate America was uh, now starting to bring in strategic sourcing, wanted larger firms that had a a national network. So it was clear to us that if we did not uh, expand the firm and, um, we had done a lot of work with um, Bank of America and had seen how they had grown as a 
as a financial leader. Um, so we took a page from their book and saw what, what the, the possibilities were for merger acquisition in this industry. So um, in a three-year, three-and-a-half-year period, um, we actually grew from about $12 million to about $53 million in annual revenue, acquiring 13 small regional firms uh, that would actually give us the network and we'd be able to corporate American say we had you know check the box we've got the network now and uh, you know as I, as I like to like to say as soon as you have think you have things figured out uh, you know God laughs and things happen so that was uh, right at the 2008-2009 downturn so um, very challenging time for the industry um, you know we compressed quite a bit uh, but coming out of the downturn I think the next piece of what we saw was um, this um, that, that there was just not enough revenue for anybody. So dealers were competing with design firms, uh, the third parties like CBRE and JLL with whom we had been partnered, we, you know, we're now competing. So, um, it, and it also the idea of being concentrated in just interiors and specifically just in corporate interiors, um, you know, was a real, was a real challenge. So, um, we sought through the next round of uh, merger acquisition to really um, uh, to diversify the firm. And that's how we got from purely interiors to today. Um, about a third of our work um, is core and shell architecture. Um, and through that merger acquisition process, um, that's how we would build the, the 10 practices and, and really round out the network. So we were always looking for whether uh, an acquisition target Number one, uh, could uh, enhance or add a new geography. Number two, could it enhance or add a new uh, service or discipline? And then three, could it add or enhance an existing practice? And if the answer was one to, to, to the first, we wanted to talk. But certainly, if the answer was yes to all three, it was a trifecta, if you will, and made those mergers the most attractive to us. You know, one of the things we talk about in our industry quite often is company culture. And I'm interested when you talk about multiple geographies, different practices, different services that you offer, when you were looking at these acquisitions, how important was it that there was some somewhat of a fit with the company culture and the work style? Yeah, so I think the 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 um, the fit, if you will, um, changed as we went uh, through, through the, as we grew, had more resources and could be more selective. So in the beginning, uh, the first and foremost filter that I looked at was whether this was a firm that was good at, at, um, uh, holding on to their clients. Did they have long-term relationships? And, um, it kind of intuitively, if you have good quality, then you have long-term relationships. Um, and intuitively, if you have long-term relationships, they are more likely to stay after the acquisition. So there was a disproportionate probably focus on that in the in the initial merger acquisition. Also, we were doing, uh, I'll, I'll say we were very creative in how we were putting these deals together, didn't really have a lot of capital. So the combination of a firm that had a, had a long-standing client base and was looking for acquisition and was flexible, you know, was probably premier in the beginning. Um, I would say at this stage, um, a culture trumps everything else. And no matter how good the business fit, if there's not a cultural fit, um, I, I and my management team were completely convinced that we will chase our tail trying to find the synergies uh, because there's just so much that we can't agree upon. 
Well, five to to a hundred, a hundred to a thousand. Congratulations! It's it's an incredible growth story. You mentioned two thousand eight. You know, a time of compression. You know, in our industry and in many industries. And now, you know, flash forward to twenty twenty, in the middle of the COVID nineteen crisis. What is what? Is, how is Nelson responding to the current situation this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is the. Um, you know, so what was it? The three little pigs, the, you know, the wolf blows the straw house down, then he blows the wood house down, and then he comes to the brick house. Um, so this has really been a test of our brick house. Um, you know, this all this merger acquisition focused on a number of things, but one of them certainly is how economically sustainable are we? Um, and, you know, the good news is um, while we have had uh, you know, lost revenues as most people have and our top line down probably about 20%. Um, it was down much more significantly. And if uh, uh, in the downturn of 2008, 2009, and if we were still so concentrated in interiors and corporate interiors, you know, the, the story would not be a pretty story. But, um, you know, fortunately, we've added uh, uh, practices like industrial healthcare, um, uh, landlord services slash uh, asset strategy, where we work on an ongoing basis with landlords who, you know, even in bad times, leases do expire. And uh, so practices like that um, have, have actually heated up and have helped us to um, make up the losses um, in many of the other practices. But as I would say, I mean, we've, we've gone through some, you know, challenging times with some uh, furloughs and layoffs as, as many folks have, but um, much, much less than we would have if we did not have the diversification strategy. So being diversified, you're able to talk to a variety of different clients in different industries. So you probably have a pretty well-rounded perspective on what this crisis is doing to change the way people work. Let's focus on the commercial interiors industry, the concept of the traditional office. How do you think that's going to be different as we emerge on the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think it's... um it's interesting that um, uh, I, I, I think the same way. I think that flexibility at work um, for employees will be a differential advantage for employers who offer that. So I think that that market force is really going to force most employers um, to, to look at work much more flexibly. Um, number two, um, I think that everybody now sees an opportunity to reduce their real estate footprint to some degree um, and to and to create some uh, savings within the you know within the overall real estate costs. Um, I do think that people um, are being very mindful of or very thoughtful about um, what is it that we get from being together uh, in in a common work environment. And, and, you know, what is just a waste of the commute into the office? So, you know, if you, if you look at, um, you know, heads down work, um, I, uh, you know, for, for what my prognostications are worth, um, I think that so much of the heads down work that was being done in Starbucks or was being done wherever will, will probably forever, there'll be less and less of that that happens in the office. I think the office will be 
um, a place of collaboration. I think um, it will be a place that um, you get that individual bonding experience or connection that um, you're, you're just not going to get purely from a Zoom interface. Uh, but I think that, you know, once that is established, I think what we've we've seen over the pandemic is that teams that were already high-performing teams that, you know, saw each other every day, knew each other, just adapted very quickly to Zoom. I think it would have been hard to take a group of strangers, throw them on Zoom and, you know, have business as usual. So I think there will always be um, a need for some kind of personal touch and personal connection. Um, I also think that the office will become sort of this series of vignettes, these purposeful spots within the, within the footprint um, of places where you either connect with others or you connect with others who are on Zoom or you're in small work groups. Um, but I think because of that, the ante will be raised a little bit uh, because you know today everybody takes a um, for granted that they just get in their car and drive to work. Now, if you're going to get in your car and drive to work, particularly in the major markets where that's an hour plus, um, there really better be something special on the that on the other end of that journey uh, that made it you know made it worth coming into work. And one thing I've always been fascinated by is the the place the the way that people are positioned to face one another in a meeting room setup and. What's interesting now, I think, is that, you know, traditionally the display or the TV in the room has been a presentation tool where there's been information on it, but really the interaction is between the people. So you might all look at the screen, but then when you get back to a conversation, you're facing the people. I think the interesting thing now is that there's a high likelihood that there will be at least one, if not multiple participants in the meeting frequently on that TV or on that display that need to be as much, you know, and maybe even more somehow engaged in the conversation because they're not physically in the room. So are you guys talking about ways that we can reimagine whether they're traditional meeting spaces or some of these social spaces where people will gather and ways that we can bring in a remote party or multiple remote parties through technology? Absolutely. And I think not only in the, um, you know, called formal work session, but also in the water cooler areas where the more uh, um, impromptu conversations happen. You know, how do we create some Zoom interfaces at the at the bar in the in the um, uh, common area where everybody's getting coffee? And now, you know, Joe Blow, who's at home and is not in an assigned meeting, can zoom into the 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 collaborate the uh, social area. And join in ad lib conversation the same way. I think it'll become, you know, these series of scheduled meetings, but then really unscheduled abilities to kind of hop around the footprint and talk to people as they're having a cup of coffee, like you would if you were there in person. You know, it's interesting too because we've talked. You know, we think a lot about ways that companies will have to adapt to this crisis, but when you think about it from the individual perspective, from the personal perspective, what are some of the characteristics do you think? will emerge as someone who is successful in this new world where flexibility seems to be a highly, you know, uh, desirable attribute. Yeah. I think, you know, um, I heard the, um, expression that COVID-19 really just accelerated the inevitable. Um, and I really like that. Um, uh, I, I think that we've gone from a place where people could work at home to where they are working at home because we just, we had a necessity to fast forward past all those 
antiquated management philosophies um, and old ways of thinking. Um, I think if if you um, if you think about just in general, <clears throat> opportunity, no matter what industry, will I think belong to those um, who are able to think in new paradigms um, and are you know willing to take a risk um, on what where they believe the world is going. Um, I you know I think the, the biggest thing that um, sort of holds people back um, is. Uh, you know, concern of how they're going to be judged or they have a hard time um, just clicking into a new paradigm. And when you think in new paradigms, you then think of the collective things that come with the new paradigm. So one example is I still remember where I was when I read that um, the uh, the phone was going to be the place that they were going to put all the apps uh, because people always have their phone so why not load the apps to the phone? Um, and until then, it, it just didn't make sense to me. But now that I understood it's because they have the device with them, and now we're going to make the device a multi-capable device with different apps, now you can start to think about all kinds of applications you can put on that phone, you know, what the next phone is going to look like, what, you know, how do you make the phone easier to hold? But there's a whole different way of thinking about, quote unquote, the phone than when you think about, you know, the, the phone from 40 years ago that was something that was attached in the, in the house. Um, and even when it became mobile, it was, it was basically that same device until we were able to start to apply applications to it. So I think you'll start to see that... Um, people able to think of new paradigms and also able to think in great flexibility in, in, parad- in, um, uh, in, in paradigms in which no matter what is happening, there's sort of an application for the things that they're advocating for. Um, I think we'll, we'll be you know, the people that will be the most successful. This seems like a lifetime ago, but when we were talking about trends in 2019, you know, one of the big ones was multiple generations more than ever before in the workplace, you know, and adapting to, uh, you know, a new young emerging workforce, but then people staying at work longer than ever because people are living longer or whatever the reason. But uh, then we all got thrown into our houses for the most part, and we were forced into change. But as we come back and there is a maybe a choice, or if, you know, if, if a company is offering flexibility, how, how important it would it be for an employer to consider the needs of uh, the baby boomer generation versus a, you know, Gen Z or X, you know, is there, is, are we see, are you seeing stark differences between them still, or are there similarities that are emerging now that we've all been upset in the way that we are used to working? Yeah. A uh, great question. And, um, uh, our, our firm just did a uh, survey of 2,000 people and around this whole idea of how is workforce changing and expectations coming back. And um, in fact, there's a series of webinars um, that are out there and will be out there through the fall in which we take this in bite-sized chunks. Um, I don't, it's interesting. I don't think um, the uh, trends overall have changed as much as many of the reasons why people want different things. Uh, for instance, uh, younger generation, um, most concerned about what not being in the office is going to do for their ability to be mentored, 
um, and to progress their career. Um, the older baby boomer age uh, really concerned about what this means for the company and how the company is, is going to progress. So, you know, I think both really try to figure out, um, uh, you know, how, how do I, number one, hold on to some of the freedom that I've, I've, I've his newfound freedom in not having to commute and, and the long, the long time to get into work and out. But on the other hand, what does that mean? You know, one group thinking, what's it mean for the company? Another group thinking, what's the mean for me? Um, so it's been a, a series of those. I, I think the, um, I think in some ways the generation gap has closed a little bit um, because I think that the, the older worker, I think, does see the benefit and has been forced to adapt to technology pretty quickly. Um, but I think there are um, across the age spectrums, uh, people concerned about being disconnected from, I'll call it the process, more than the office space um, through a, 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 more, a more flexible workplace. Yeah, that that sounds like a fascinating series. I'll definitely stay tuned for that. Um, you talked about mentorship. Let's switch over to some personal advice, uh, given your experience and your success. If you were mentoring someone who was looking to grow professionally, what's a piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, um, you know, when you were talking a little bit about our story, um, you know, I really um, appreciate the kind words. But, you know, the point is, I think our story really is one of... Um, if people are passionate and creative um, in, in, and really passionate and creative about uh, a set, um, a defined set of objectives uh, over some period of time, they can accomplish amazing things. Um, you know, I think we, um, uh, I think if there's been a change in the, in the generations, I think that um, older generations were, you know, prepared to work decades, if you will. Um, and I think uh, in the millennial and younger ages, you know, there's more of an instant gratification. Um, but I do think, um, you know, number one, there's no replacement for passion. Um, and you read that all the time, whether somebody's interviewing for a job, trying to sell you a product, whatever, their personal uh, excitement about what they're doing just flows to uh, to the, whatever their effort is. Um, and I think the other thing is the creativity. Um, you know, when you hit one of those snags in life and you will hit those snags, um, how creative are you in, in thinking differently um, and, to find, and, to, and to really being able to find new, um, you know, and I'll give you an example. You know, we until recently had a very untraditional way of financing acquisitions. Um, and I didn't have a pile of cash and, uh, and again, had to be very creative in terms of the formulas that we came up with until we were able to get the capital to do, you know, larger acquisitions. And so again, I would, um, I think all too often people will look at a traditional way of getting somewhere and be discouraged by the lack of resource or the lack of ability. Um, and that's really the time to dig deep and be more creative. Yeah, that's great advice. And for someone who's done a number of acquisitions, it seems like whenever there is a potential downturn in the economy, that that might be a time where you can get creative and make some some bold moves. If, if there's any business owners listening, any advice as far as looking for the right opportunity potentially to do an acquisition when we might be going through a time like this? Yeah. Um, you know, I think... Um 
both buyer and um, seller being realistic about um, uh, what is, um, is the, you know, there's all kinds of businesses. I, you know, one of our clients is Home Depot and uh, was on a call with them the other day and they're, uh, sales are up 30%. Uh, another client is uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, who's just killing it. Um, so, you know, there's one lens that says retail is really struggling. And then here are these, you know, companies, because of what their niche is in this environment, um, where their values aren't, you know, or, or they are greater than they were coming into it. Um, so I think realist, being realistic about um, the value of the business in this environment the risk in uh, to both buyer and seller in this environment and trying to come up with um, uh, flexible ways uh, to reward both parties, um, you know, understanding that the seller is delivering some kind of value and should get some kind of base compensation for that. Um, but I would think in these times, um, having flexibility over the next three to five years as the acquisition um, is more cemented and implemented and we get back to more normal times. So enough of a runway so that buyer and seller can both get value out of the deal. All right, let's finish with uh, maybe one recommendation of a resource that's been valuable to you in your career that you would recommend to others. Yeah, so I, um, it's interesting. I the two that I always point to and i been kind of a voracious uh, business reader over the years, but you know, two um, people that I've had the opportunity to meet and their their, their material, I think, just is timeless. Uh, one is Jim Collins, and uh, you know, whether it's the classic Good to Great or you know, um, uh, what's the uh, built for? I forget, but anyhow, built to last. That's it. Yeah series of just, um, and, and everyone seems to kind of build on the other, and there's just a great framework of thinking about business. Uh, the other is Pat, Patrick Lencioni, um, who um, talks more more about um, managing people, uh, paradigms around managing people, um, and um, I think for the, both the manager and the employee has some really great insights in terms of um, uh, how much teamwork really makes a difference in a business. Almost every team um, I've ever managed, I start with the hierarchy from uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Um, not be, not necessarily because the team is dysfunctional, but because I think in that quadrant uh, or in that triangle um, is the the five steps that if you can maximize those steps, you can really build a strong, high-performing team. Awesome advice. Well, Ozzy, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. My great pleasure. Thank you. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.